From API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. I'm your host, John Bisney. My guests today are API Chief Economist John Felmy and API Fuel Issues Manager Al Minato, both gentlemen very well qualified to discuss a really important energy topic these days, alternative fuels for motor vehicles and specifically ethanol. Al, let's start with you. What is ethanol? Where do we get it? How is it used? Ethanol is an additive. It's made from uh, corn or grains. It's an additive for gasoline. It comes primarily from corn here. It comes from sugarcane if you're in Brazil or the tropics. And uh, we've been using it as an additive to gasoline since uh, the late 70s. And it represents an additive now to, what, about half of our gasoline supply? That's right. About 50% of our gasoline has some ethanol in it, and, uh, and and that number has been growing in recent years. And how do we know where it's being used and where it's not and why? Well, typically the pumps at the gasoline stations are marked uh, that the fuel would contain ethanol. So uh, you can see that on your gasoline pump. And if you're in most of the major metropolitan areas here in the U.S., do use ethanol as part of reformulated gasoline program. All right. Now, there's a government requirement, though, that the nation consume a certain amount of ethanol every year called the Renewable Fuel Standard. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. In uh, in 2005, Congress passed the Energy Policy Act, and that required us uh, in the U.S. to use uh, renewable fuel. And that here in the U.S. is primarily ethanol, although we do use other renewable fuels. Uh, the mandate started last year at 4 billion gallons and ramps up to 7.5 billion in 2012, although last year when we had the mandate at 4 billion, we actually used over 5 billion. So we had a 25% increase over the mandate. So these days, we're able to meet that mandate successfully just by using corn-based ethanol. That's right. We do use some uh, some biodiesel, but we are meeting well beyond the mandate with corn ethanol. Congress now, though, is considering legislation that would increase that mandate, and you see some possible problems with that. Yes, uh Congress is looking at very large mandates, and what we think that the you know although we need uh, renewables and we need to use as many as as much as we can, um, we think that we want to see a realistic and workable mandate put in place. And right now, uh, there's limits to corn ethanol and how much ethanol and renewables can be produced, and those limits go uh, and and the mandates go well beyond the limits that uh, that currently exist. Or let me bring in our chief economist, John Filmy, on that aspect. John, what that means is, is that we are uh, now using corn for competing purposes, and that's having some other effects on the economic marketplace. What you've seen is, because you're using more corn for ethanol production, the price of corn has gone up considerably. Now, corn is used in a variety of purposes for food production, both for animal, livestock production, and it's an integral part to feed for both milk and uh, other uh, food production crops, such as, for example, the uh, sugaring agent, the sweetening agent in uh, your Coca-Cola could be uh, from corn. So it has had an impact in terms of raising the cost of corn, which then has secondary impacts on the other food supply. So, Al, Monado, what's the way out of this? There's got to be another source to get ethanol at some point, presumably. 
There is, and and that's cellulosic ethanol. Now, cellulosic ethanol is ethanol that's not made from grain, corns, or or wheat, but is made from cellulosic materials, and it could be the corn husks, corn stover, um, other other uh, switchgrass, other type of uh, biofuel. So that is what we're looking to do in the future. Um, the problem with cellulosic ethanol right now is that it's not economic. It's very expensive to make fuel-grade ethanol from cellulosic materials, and until we get a technological breakthrough, um, the cellulosic ethanol will have a very limited role. And we just have no idea how long that will be. Right. I mean, if you talk to the scientists, uh, they're very they, they're very much encouraged by the research that's being done. In fact, our companies are act- actively involved in that research. Uh, they're partnering with uh, Iogen. Shell is partnering with Iogen. Uh, BP is partnering with DuPont to develop cellulosic ethanol. And um, and and so the breakthrough is hopefully in the near future, but we can't predict when it will when and if it will occur. All right, now, John, from an economic perspective, how does the cost of ethanol compare with, with producing gasoline? Corn-based ethanol has traditionally been much more expensive to produce than gasoline. That's why it's subsidized, the equivalent of over 50 cents a gallon. We have seen the costs of producing ethanol from corn come down considerably over the years. And in the case of cellulosic ethanol, it is still even more expensive based on the current technology that we have. Now, Al, uh, though... There's also another problem, apparently, that some see with ethanol in terms of, I guess, its overall value or or, or cost, which is uh, the performance issue. Right. Ethanol uh, has good properties and it's got bad properties. The good property is it's high in octane. So that's why it's a valuable additive to the refiners because it can replace some of the octane uh, that's needed in the gasoline. The bad property is that it only has about 70% of the energy uh, of gasoline. So um, so you need more ethanol uh, to go the same amount, amount of miles that, as, as you do in gasoline. It's, again, it's about 70% value. I want to talk for a minute about the different blends of ethanol that are available. You talked before about half the nation's gasoline is blended. That's, I think, at about 10%, and that's called E10, ethanol 10. But there's also another blend available that some vehicles can use, E85. Talk about that. Yes, E85 is an alternative fuel, and it's a blend of ethanol from 70% to 85% of ethanol with gasoline. And it's an alternative fuel, which means you can't put it in our existing vehicle fleet. You have to have a special vehicle. These vehicles are called flexible fuel vehicles. They're the ones that you you see some ads on TV for them. Uh, Right now, about 3% of our light-duty fleet are flexible fuel fuel capable. So... um, um, that that's how that's how many uh, vehicles can take the fuel. So it's it's got a limited uh, role, and 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 the key to uh, to E85 and its usage is cellulosic ethanol that we were just talking about. Until there are those technological breakthroughs that make cellulosic ethanol economic to use, um, E85 really isn't going to be a viable transportation fuel. And again, that gets back to the fuel economy issue um, with 70. Uh, 70 
70% less uh, of, of the energy in gasoline, what happens with E85 is you lose about 25% of, the, of your fuel economy. So in order for a citizen to go the same amount of miles for the same amount of dollars on E85, it would have to be priced 25% less at the at the uh, retail pump, and and so that's a real limiting factor because consumers don't want to spend more for their uh, fuel; they want to spend less. And there's a marketplace issue too, I guess, John Felmy, which is that it's sort of almost a chicken and an egg thing. Uh, retailers are not ready to install the pumps until the vehicle fleet is ready, and and vice versa. How does that all shake out? It's important to realize that um, 95% of the gasoline stations in the United States are owned by small businessmen. And so for them to make a commitment to install E85 pumps is extremely expensive. If you don't have a market for it, meaning there aren't enough cars that can use it or consumers who will use it or consumers that know their cars can use it, uh, it's imprudent for those small businessmen to make these large investments because they simply won't pay back. Yeah, I think, and l l let me add to that. I think, I think, you know, the key there is demand. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about chicken and egg. Do we do we put the pumps in? Do we build the vehicles? The reality is that even in the three percent of the fleet that's out there, none of those consumers are are looking for or requesting E85, even in the stations where it exists. It's there are over a thousand E85 stations out there, and those stations pump very little E85 fuel because there's no demand. For for that fuel. And what are the predictions, Al, as to where the fleet will be, say, 5, 10, 15 years from now? Well, um, right now, uh, you have several of the of the manufacturers, GM and Ford, uh, are making these E85 vehicles in crisis. Chrysler to a lesser extent, but if you look at EIA's projections that um, that the FFV fleet really doesn't get a gets to about 10% and kind of levels off, and 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 so um, you really don't see without without government mandates, which we're we are not encouraging, um, you don't see the FFV fleet uh, getting really above 10%. John, tell me another question that you hear quite frequently is, well, Brazil's doing this. Why can't we do it? Brazil has a robust ethanol industry. They're able to supply a very high percentage of their cars with this fuel. Why wouldn't that work here? Well, Brazil produces its ethanol from sugarcane. It is a very efficient process, very low cost compared to producing it uh, with other forms of feedstocks. Uh, but the fact of the matter is in the United States, we're not going to be growing a lot more sugarcane. Uh, the only way you're going to increase sugarcane production significantly is if you tear down a lot of condos from Maui. Uh, it's also helpful to remember that Brazil is not energy independent primarily because of ethanol. Ethanol has helped, but Brazil is primarily energy independent because they've expanded their oil production, particularly their offshore oil production, from 200,000 barrels a day in 1980 to 2 million barrels a day right now. So the predominant increase in their energy supply has come from oil. Al, we've talked a lot about ethanol here today, but there are other biofuels available, other alternatives. But I guess ethanol sort of the giant. Do you see some of these other fuels playing a, big, a very big of a role, and, and by how much? Well, I think there are other fuels out there. Biodiesel is one that, that most people are familiar with. There's also a product, renewable diesel, biobutanol. There are a lot of different products that people are looking at. Um, when when you talk about biodiesel, um, 
the vehicle manufacturers really only warrant up to about a B5 or a 5% blend for biodiesel. The real issue there on, on whether or not these these other fuels can grow is the fact that um, that the soy, mo- biodiesel mostly comes from soy, although it, there are fats and other things that, can, that you can use to make biodiesel or renewable diesel. Um, but there's a limit to how much soy uh, you we will have because it plays off w- uh, with the corn and and you know maybe maybe John you know can comment further on that um, but but there's there's an issue there um, and and so while they're, they they've got a role to play they're going to be limited and and nowhere near the role that would be played by ethanol. I think it's helpful that if you do a calculation on, for example, if you used 100% of the corn crop, you'd only get about 15% of the gasoline supply. Similarly, in the case of using all the edible oils we have in the United States, you'd only get about 7% of the diesel supply. So they can play an important role going forward, but because of the sheer magnitude of our demand for gasoline, it will be limited. And, and it's important to note that those numbers are not realistic uh, because because we, we only use about 20% of the corn right now for fuel ethanol. So we were talking about the other 80% of the usage just doing away with that, which really isn't realistic. So those numbers really give you, give you a, a more than upper bound to where we can go. So it sounds like in summary here, the message is, uh, ethanol and other alternative fuels are, are good. We need a lot of energy. We need all the energy we can get, but make prudent decisions and don't overpromise. I think that's exactly right. And, 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 and the other message is that government mandates aren't going to help. We think the marketplace should determine how much ethanol, how much biodiesel, how many, how much of this fuel is used. And, and if, and we let the market work in the, in the U.S., it's what's given us the strongest economy in the world. All right, gentlemen, we're out of time for this week. My guests have been API Chief Economist John Felmy and API Fuels Issue Manager Al D'Amato. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.